And hey, what's up, guys? This is Anthony Anthem, aka Mr. AKA, aka Black Fabio, aka the Midnight Marauder. And today we have a special guest today. May everybody um, get to know your name. Hi, Kenyo Hutchins. Nice to be able to talk to you today, Anthony, and everybody else. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How's life been treating you today? Um, today is a good Sunday. It is very sunny in my side of town. I'm in the Vegas area, um, so no complaints whatsoever trying to get the rest of the sun before it gets dark and I have to start my Monday and my week back over. Okay. So what is it that you do for a living, Ms. Hutchins? Um, so I am a uh, coach and consultant for uh, corporate operations for healthcare, healthcare partners. Um, basically, okay. I go out and, and talk to your doctor, your physician, your uh, nurse practitioner, uh, any providers um, that such patients have regular appointments. I coach them about patient experience. So all my research is about perception and how it affects performance. So I try and talk to providers about how their uh, patient's perception will affect their performance and how we keep an eye on things and a whole bunch of other things in the medical world. But that's that's just about the gist of it. I'm a coach. Okay. Okay. Well, I can dig that. So how long have you been in the field? Honestly, actually, this is my, um, for business in general. So I have uh, a master's in business um, and I've worked uh, on the education side of business for a little while, but this is my first corporate role and it's uh, about a year in now. Um, so when I, if I just want to say straight corporate operation business, this is my first year um, in this field, actual research and coaching. Um, I've been doing it for a couple of years. My, my previous position was a principal. Um, so I've, been able to be coaches for principals and things like that, but first straight business role in a, a year in. Well, do you enjoy what you do? Um, actually, I think it's very, very fulfilling. I think it's uh, each day is very different. It really depends on what, what provider I'm talking to. Um, but the biggest thing is I like the impact that I have for patients. Um, I think that there are a lot, of, a lot of seats or a lot of sides that can be taken to healthcare. Um, when it becomes a business versus a service. Um, so I think that I'm in a pretty impactful seat to be able to help providers understand the people side of healthcare and, and not run it always just like a business. So yes, I really do enjoy um, what I'm doing. Uh, and I really like to get out and just really talk to people, talk to people all the time, uh, kind of see where their, their point of views come from, be able to kind of mix together some common meetings of the mind. So yes, I really enjoy what I'm doing. Um, that's pretty awesome that you enjoy what you're doing because, I mean, the fact of the matter is being fulfilled in anything you're doing should be one of the most important aspects of your life. Like, I think it's very important like, to find what's the issue. That means better performance on the trade that you're doing if you're enjoying what you're doing. A lot of people don't understand. Like, like for instance, I've noticed like, people in the teaching field or maybe they're doctors or whatever and you can tell they actually really don't enjoy what they're doing even though it's a job that's they um enrich and help people with their lives whether they're small children or whether they're adults trying to stay healthy yeah yeah i can i can subscribe to that i think that um i think it's, it's a balance so what my beliefs are is that if you are passionate about something uh somebody's not making you do it somebody's not trying to get you motivated to be in tune or involved, it just kind of naturally gains your attention. Um, a lot of what I've talked to uh, 
when I talk to people, I'm really trying to figure out like, or help them figure out what is your why? Like, why are you doing things? I think if we do follow passions and talents versus uh, revenue um, or, you know, just status, clout, whatever it may be, I think we'd be a lot happier in some of the things that we're doing. Um, and I think people are starting to see that. Uh, you can see, um, I, even with social media, you're starting to see a lot more positive clicks now than what we've seen in the past. People are trying to shine light on things that are more of passionate art or creativity um, than just our usual kind of slop that we kind of go through every day. So I kind of, I'm agreeing with you that if you can have purpose, uh, it, it's, it's fulfilling. It's, it's also fulfilling, actually. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, what was your upbringing like? Where are you from originally? I remember you told me you're from the Midwest originally. Um, yeah. What part of the Midwest are you from? So I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, born and raised. Um, I am actually from a place where everybody asks me whenever I leave out of this side of wherever I leave the Midwest, like, hey, are there black people there? Um, I got a real random question one time. Do you guys wear shoes? Where I always look back and be like, are there black people there? I've never really seen white people there, or um, which I have, but yeah, very, um, very different than what people prescribe to the Midwest or think that Milwaukee is about, but uh, I'm a city kid, um, grew up playing sports, uh, I was able to go to school on a scholarship for basketball and softball, uh, just kind of the kid that always played outside, always doing something, kind of playing with the guys all the time, trying to get a good run in for the most part, it, it landed me um, a full ride to school, and I was able to go to school. I went to school at, in Payne College uh, in Georgia. Uh, that wow. was an awesome, awesome experience. Uh, I got a chance to see a lot of the Southern states, just playing basketball games, traveling all the time. Um, I was able to get a four-year career, I mean, excuse me, four-year degree for free, which is <laughs> um, awesome, oh, especially for a kid who, uh, who was trying to really figure out how I was going to pay for college and things like that. I'm the first graduate in my family, college graduate in my family, actually first high school graduate at first, and, and I'm the oldest of four, but all of my brothers and sisters have since yet caught up to me with at least graduating high school and at least getting a, a bachelor's degree. Um, I got went on to receive a master's. I have a doctorate um, in educational leadership, so uh, I'm a firm believer in education, um, and I think it's how we use education that makes me believe in it, because um, sometimes it just gets you into those gray seats, but uh, really, I'm just a I'm a kind of go with the flow type of person. I really want to see how I can impact lives, where the why comes from, and that probably comes from me being the oldest out of my family. It probably comes from me being an athlete and having to, you know, play team ball, work together, get to a common ground. I've always been put in positions where somebody relied on me and I relied on somebody else to get a job done. So that's kind of been a, a kind of concept for me is community relationships. I feel like it's the real currency of the world. I've been taught that way, raised that way. Um, uh, household of two, my parents are still together, still kicking, fighting, pulling, screaming, whatever it is that uh, older people do. But yeah, life is good for me. And the Midwest taught me a lot of things. I, I grew up in a very, um, what I would say, red state. Uh, if you go outside of Milwaukee, you get into uh, very conservative areas. Um, we were always voting for the Republic when the elections came out. So um, you get a lot of taste of what it looks like to grow up as a black female. It what it looks like to grow up as um, somebody who grows up in five three two zero six. I don't know if you've seen the documentary about five three two zero six or um, what that looks like, but the most impoverished uh, zip code um, in the in the nation, really. So just one of those wow. things where you gotta gotta figure it out and 
I did. We did. I have very, very strong-willed parents. My brothers and sisters all turned out pretty well for my <laughs> for my lens. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Wow. Okay, this is wow. <laughs> I knew you. Were, I knew I was going to get an interesting story from you, but that's oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I've done some things. I've done some things. Yeah, I that that's awesome. You're like the epitome of what black excellence is. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. One day I'm trying to figure out how to make all like make black excellence one of those things that we kind of see at the forefront. Um every day, no matter if we're getting on and we're scrolling up Facebook, we're reading the newspaper, we're watching the news, that you know, we all can have some kind of limelight into what we consider excellent. So well, it sounds like to me you're a very strong-minded individual with a lot of integrity. For what I'm saying, you're a team player, but you're also somebody who has a lot of driving ambition. So yeah, for sure, I've had a lot of days where I've I've slept in and didn't get right to it, and it's not worth it. You know what I mean? Like it's not worth what you can. I think I had to get to a place where I believed in myself because there were times where I really didn't. Um, I didn't know what to do next or what next step to take. So I've seen enough of what it looks like to really try and pump into yourself, invest in yourself. And I think I'm hungry for that. So that's where this person kind of comes from. I do believe that we become clearer versions of ourselves. And I just got to a version of myself that um, I, I can do something with. <laughs> I can figure out some things. So it's working out. Wow. I mean, I can tell you what, I mean, um, I know I'm your junior, so I mean, for me, I just kind of figured out what I wanted to do in my life and how I wanted to invest in myself. I mean, it took me some time to figure it out, but um, that that actually gives me some motivation right there just to hear those same words I, I started to think like a few months ago. Because, I mean, if you don't invest in yourself, then obviously you don't believe in yourself. It's one thing I've learned in time, and that's important. I, and I want a lot of people to be able to hear that. Like, you just got to believe you can do this if you want something to really work out. I mean, I see you now. You're just, you're trying to make advances in life. You're finding what they call the wild rabbit. So I, I really commend you for that, sincerely. Oh, well, thank you. And, and just add on to what you said about um, just believing in yourself, too. You know, a lot of when I so I've been an educator and I've seen kids like when they don't have access to be able to see that things are possible. It's not even really about even believing in themselves versus knowing that in that that thing, whatever it is that they are good at or whatever it is that they're working for is a possibility. So even not even just having a belief, but there are a lot of things I didn't allow myself to have access to because I you know, subscribe to my environment. I subscribe to my friends and what I thought was cool. So um, just to add to that, it's really like a lack of access for people. Um, them not knowing that there's a better step or a next step uh, sometimes can hinder our progress or, or our perception of what things could be. Also very true. So, I mean, let me, uh, so let me ask you this. So let's go post-college here. So post-college, I mean, 
I can say this for like some of my friends who have graduated, even me for the two years I did, like post college, it's a whole different rodeo than when, you know, you did your four years or whatever. I mean, your job searching and everything. Did you have any struggles like post college that really kinda um kinda almost shaped and formatted who you are as a person now? Um, let me say this. So I in my heart of hearts, I believe that there are jobs out there. Like I think that I didn't, I didn't struggle too much. I, I went, wanted to go into teaching. So, you know, with, when there's a lockstep type of profession, like teaching, you apply for a teaching gig or you go to a school that helps you get an interview for a teaching gig or you are a student teacher. So you kind of graduate into a teaching gig. It wasn't really hard after college to uh, get into teaching. Uh, what was difficult was like learning to maneuver the politics right after college because for so long, you're you're taught, you know, go to school, get your four-year degree, come out and you make a lot of money, and then you're, you know, proud of everything you do, and you're successful. <laughs> so, it didn't go like that. What occurred was I got out of school, I was able to get a job, but then I was finding myself um, fighting fights that, and wars that I was never going to win because of the way I was coming at them. And um, as a millennial, too, trying to tell people, that, you know, that I've been in place for a while, how to do things or what's better or what's more creative when sometimes that's it's not necessarily the case. I'm, I'm just impulsive and I'm trying to get to it. Uh, that was probably the hardest part for me after college was just navigating the politics, learning when to start fires and when to put them out and learning when to, you know, combat or fight for a policy or a student or a family and learning when to, you know, play more ballpark and get the greater, you know, get the outcome to be better for the greater good versus a, a couple of students. So, that to me was probably my biggest challenge was the, was the politics. Um, it, it's not set up like you think or like social media would have you to believe when you get in the job and <laughs> you gotta get some notches on your belt and get some experience under you before somebody's gonna pay attention and listen to what you gotta say. Fortunately, but fortunately, you want that experience too. Um, you wanna be able to know and know what you're talking about and hopefully gonna be a subject matter expert that can make an impact. Sounds like there, it must have been quite the journey. So, I mean, in your years of educator, so what do you teach? Uh, what did you teach? Like, what, um, were you in elementary, middle school, high school? I started off in uh, in middle school, actually. Um, I ended up, I had, I had one fifth grade class out of elementary class, but I started off in middle school. Um, I taught fifth, seventh, and eighth. Uh, there was an elementary school, too, that was coupled with us. That's how I got fifth graders. I was a special education teacher uh, the first year teaching for the first three years. Um, and then I became a dean of students after that. So um, I left from the dean of students position in the middle school to Job Corps. I'm not sure if you're familiar, if you're familiar you're with it. It's a um, government program, about 124, 23 locations across uh, the United States. Um, and it's a 16 to 25 year old type of residential facility, most of them are residential, uh, that was back at home in Milwaukee. Um, that helped me with, you know, high schoolers, uh, early college, so freshman, sophomore year college students. Um, but my biggest, my biggest ask was, would have been special education. I think that that is uh, kind of what got me to trying to figure out differentiation and that equality and uh, equity are not the same and what all inclusion truly looks like and how we should like attack education. So I started off in special ed. Okay. And where did you teach at? 
Um, I've taught at, back at home in Milwaukee, I taught at a Academy of Learning and Leadership. It's no longer a school. Um, it's, uh, it's the buildings are still um, rented by schools or leased by schools, but that school is closed. I taught at Fur High School. That's in uh, Houston, Texas. Um, I had high school there, uh, high school students there. Um, I taught special education and I taught uh, English. My undergrad is in English, so I was able to teach uh, some Magdalene students, freshman Magdalene students there for a little while. Um, and then also job for that was a high school to um, pre-college. I was a manager of career preparation, so I really taught more the life skill piece at first. Um, and then I became a director, so I worked on like independent living skills and financial literacy, uh, things like that um, through that position. Wow. It really sounds like um, you've, you're well-traveled and also have dealt with different situations. So you were, did you work mostly in the inner city with a lot of these uh, um, children? Yes, yes. All of my um, teacher experiences have been inner city kids. Uh, prominently minority of uh, the schools that I've been at besides job for I would say job for probably had the biggest chill on the demographic shift um, for me I had a lot of minority for most of my teaching experience so uh, inner city I'm trying to think about anywhere all uh, I did teach um, Waukesha public schools which is more of a suburb thank you which is more of a suburb um, city in Wisconsin um, so a different demographic of students, uh, but that was probably, I would say, 90%, 92% white students, and yeah, 92% white students. I'm trying to get the demographics off the top of my head, but that will probably be my only unlike or familiar um, education role, and I was a dean at that school. Uh, kind of different for me, too, uh, working with a different greatest students just meaning um, uh, family hmm. approach things how communities approach things um just kind of the influence from parents versus not when, when you think of students who are of low economical standing um so that was kind of just different to see but all in all kids become kids <laughs> and uh, i ended up getting middle school in waukesha so i was able to see middle school kids at its finest with a lot of resources around them and what that looks like so yeah to answer your question wow so it sounds like you've had different views on different things over the time um Absolutely. what can you say was the hardest part about you know being in the education field like what can you say was maybe what the days that really hit hard for you so when i left the classroom and became an administrator uh you know a lot of people will say things like you don't really want to be in a leadership role because once you get there you don't want the role that wasn't necessarily my heartache my heartache was um knowing what education really looks like when it's a business that probably was the biggest like oh that's deflating and that's really what we're working towards and that's really what the focus is and um, how do you really think about kids in the middle of it being a business? How do you really um, get outcomes for students and, you know, promote a positive, you know, trajectory for them when you really are running a business and trying to get numbers and trying to make things add or match that really we shouldn't be focused on, but that's what we need to do. So I think my struggle was leaving the classroom and going to administration 
but it eventually became a challenge to that I wanted to meet, um, a goal that I made that I wanted to, you know, attain, and that was like influence education to make sure that we are thinking about the students as much as possible and students are really learning and getting quality education because uh, that was dire, dire important to me um, uh, as an administrator. Sounds like, sounds like you got a, a different, what's the best way I can say, a different perception once you took on that role. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, I didn't know how much, I didn't know how much education was about, you know, checking off goals or checking off tasks until we got into, until I got into administration. Like the weight that the tests have on them from what you're able to truly do for a student, like when you're not teaching to the test, when you're, you know, really trying to just get a student to move in their grade level. So they're reading on, you know, fifth grade level when we start the school year, are they reading at a sixth grade level when you end it, which is, you know, what a school year traditionally is, you know, expected to do. We're having students that are going backwards and they are, you know, struggling with wanting to read, period. And how are you still trying to check things off the checklist, but making sure students are not truly left behind? Um, because that, that to me, was, that was unreal when I was thinking of the amount of students that were really not grasping basic information, um, especially in inner city, especially in uh, public schools where um, you want to fight against the bad comments that are being said about you in social media and how public schools are, you know, the bottom of the bottom when it comes to education. That's, that's a true picture when you look at, you know, how we're trying to obtain goals and meet goals if you don't try and help and influence that, um, which is unfortunate, but it, 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 the people that are, are drawn to the challenge, they will step up and take the challenge and try and do what they can do for the kids, for the students. That's a sad thing. Cause, I mean, I already know, like, from the time I was in school, like, going as um because i was going into education myself for the first two years um unfortunately like i realized i didn't have the real passion for it but i did have a real respect for it like going into education so and we had to do a lot of observations because the program i was in was focused on working with the inner city and so i'm working in the inner city of like kansas city and Kansas City, Kansas, a lot of areas that are very underfunded, um, a lot of poverty, um, just a lot of background where, unfortunately, you see the difference between these schools and maybe some school in the suburb, because I grew up with a suburban education. Like, I grew up, like, in the suburbs myself. So, in a way, I knew as soon as I walked through these doors, there was a big difference on how I was educated and how people are getting educated in these like in these neighborhoods. And it's unfortunate. Like you're seeing old textbooks, they could barely even get a decent overhead running or whatever they need. Their library is outdated. They may have like one or two computers compared to me going to a computer lab. There's several computers going and then going to even a school that's even more advanced than mine in an elementary school level. And you're seeing they got smart boards in every room, two computers in every room, and that's not even counting what they got for the library. I mean, they're even teaching French and Russian in some of these, like, you know, right. schools that are poorly funded. 
Kind of sad as we used to see where we're at still in the United States with our education. I mean, we have the strongest military in the world, um, one of the most like biggest institutions for prison, and yet education is thirty or below compared to other countries. Like uh, even third world countries are actually destroying us in education. Yeah, I mean, think about it, like right now the job I have now, um, working with the provider. So these are the uh, medical minds of Nevada. These are, you know, some of them are geniuses and, you know, my lens of looking at things and how they connect and come up with outcomes for patients. But a lot of them are foreigners. A lot of them are cut. They come from different countries. Uh, but I think it's our value. Where do we place value at um, as a country? Um, what are we valuing? Um, to, you know, stand behind, you know, as a nation, like, what are we saying? So when I think of education and where it falls at on our the timeline or where it falls on, on the list of importances or values, I don't think it's very high for a lot of people. I grew up with, um, I grew up, excuse me, I um, went set to the term when Scott Walker was the governor in Milwaukee, and he was pro anything that wasn't education, like he didn't care about uh, you leaving high school uh, with a high school diploma or leaving to go on to college. So when you think about where our values are placed, I can see how foreigners are coming and teaching us how to use our equipment and coming and teaching us how to uh, really look at healthcare and medicine because um, they're being taught that. That's where, you know, their hometown, their home countries are valuing um, that versus what we decide to value uh, and what we put time and money into. I mean, unfortunately, yes, and it's it's a realization that I feel like we're more worried about getting capital than anything in this country, and this is me being non-political, it's just the honest truth. I mean, it seems like the, um, the more money we bring to the table, the less everything else, like, you know, gets ignored, whether it's this, um, education, or it's mental health. There's a lot of institutions that I feel like we haven't really put our focus on here in America, especially in the last 50 to 60 years. Maybe even more than that, unfortunately. Because, I mean, when it comes down to it, we know going to war brings money, and we know like the private prison institutions are definitely a cash cow as well, because there's many incarcerated. So, it does make you question, but to get off my soapbox, my apologies for making it so serious on the topic. Um, <laughs> I, know I made it way too serious. I know you're just like, oh, it got serious. What do you say? What's about to say? What's up? And then you, that's what we're talking about. I'm okay with it. I, um, a lot of what you're saying, I agree with, and or at least can understand why you had a perception you have. Yeah, I mean. Sometimes it's just best to have some type of awareness. So working in special education, um, because that's very important, because there's a lot of folks, either A, with special needs, or B, that need just extra help to help them succeed in their education. Like, what was it like for you, like, working in the field of special education? Honestly, um, 
it was kind of exciting for me, uh, especially starting off very young. Uh, it makes you figure out how to approach people differently. Um, not everybody is like that blanket approach type of person. Like you can't go at everybody with the same, you know, good morning. You can't go at everybody with the same, you know, question or the same uh, request or expectation. So I think working in special education helped me see that people are truly different. Learners are truly different. They grasp things differently. I have to come in and know that I need to have at least three different ways to show all of my students how to do something because two of them learn this way and, and three of them are going to, you know, take this from it. So I want to say it was more exciting, um, a lot of work uh, at, at first with like lesson planning and trying to work through that, but more exciting. It helped me work with all different types of people. Honestly, it helped me be able to uh, really hone in and focus and give people that I'm talking to the audience, I'm talking to more what they need or what um, is a motivator to get them to listen. Um, that, that helps with that piece. So I would say being a special education teacher probably was designed and it was part of the purpose and in, in, in my route uh, to get where I am because I, I probably learned um, the most from just being able to work with so many different type of students and, and then families from those students um, through that lens. I would say it made it fun, it, it, a lot of work, but very rewarding, very rewarding to be able to focus on those students and, and their needs and, and what they need uh, to be able to uh, get something out of education or be able to get something that's fulfilling to them as learners. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't imagine, I mean, I don't know what I would do if I were in your shoes. Like, because I mean, it's important because in a way you have a responsibility to these children regardless of special ed or not like what you say and what you bring to them um can definitely affect their future so it sounds like to me you definitely like had to figure out the right approach and i see that with that in time you probably had a lot of successes in doing that because some people never know. They kind of just kind of go without really thinking about what's like, what's really going to work for these children. Because at the end of the day, you're right. Every children, every, I'm sorry, every child is different. I mean, I mean, when it comes down to like, yes, like I feel like, yes, education is important in the schools, but it's also important in the homes. But at the same time, the responsibility of a teacher is to give them guidance, even bigger than the classroom sometimes. Do you do you agree with that statement? Uh, so absolutely, I think um, I, the important piece for me is like what you hit on as far as like what you think what they will learn at home with parents, how they're influencing versus what the teacher's responsibility is. Um, every teacher in every school will answer that question differently um, <laughs> on the responsibility piece. Whose responsibility is it to do X, Y, and Z for a kid to get them there with a balanced breakfast and make sure their mind is ready to learn? And then the teacher has to, you know, work her magic or work his magic to get the lesson in. And then they go home and, you know, they get whatever they get from there. Like it's not, it's so, it's so different um, per family, but it's a lot of the same 
type of mentality, which is crazy. So I think um, as an educator, I've been very frustrated at parents before where I'm like, if they could just, if they would just do this. And then I learned as a parent where sometimes you are just doing your best. And this is the outcome, unfortunately. Sometimes you, you know, you don't want to get that phone call about your son or daughter doing just one more thing because all of your phone calls have been about what your son and daughter do. So you done with your son and daughter and you done with the school. <laughs> um, so it's just those things where uh, I've had teachers, no, I've had parents show up because their son's phone is confiscated or there was a fight at a school, but they won't show up for the conferences and when we need to talk about, you know, goals and planning. But then I stepped back and I was able to be an administrator and see why parents don't come to meetings because we give them a lot of talking points that are over their heads or they don't have that level of education sometimes when they're coming in or uh, they don't have the guidance to know that, yeah, I'm not supposed to just come up there when it's drama at the school, but I should be up there when uh, something career-wise or education-wise is going on. Like uh, perceptions and beliefs and values and viewpoints all play a part of bringing, all play a part your perception of things. Like I got uh, a very unique way of looking at perspective um, when I was, when I think about this question, this makes sense because people don't see things as they are. They see things as they are, right? So when I walk into a situation, I'm answering a question or I'm trying to help a learner. Um, I was a coach. When I'm trying to work with uh, my athletes or basketball players, male and females, what is my perspective and how am I putting that into this situation? Sometimes people don't stop and bleed that out and they're just going off of what they know, what they believe, what they think, and, you know, it's going to be this way. And it sometimes adds friction and we get into a place where, yeah, we, we're not sure what, where the student is going wrong, but it's not working at, at any front, school front, home front, nothing's working. And then you get those kids that you're like, how are you so successful and everything around you is in shambles and everything is working for the student. They're the smartest kid in the class and it's, it's a mystery um, until we start to have conversations about what's going on independently with all of us as people. Like what, what's happening? What is our... What, what, what is our home life like? What are we doing when we get to class? How are we studying? What are our skills like? Um, how are we making the best case scenario out of possibilities that seem like they're, they're limitless in, in a negative way, <laughs> that we're not getting any good options? So, yes, I agree with the statement wholeheartedly. I really think it's about who you're talking to and, and what they or side of the bed you wake up on. It, it becomes that, that transient, that difference, and changeable. Wow. Wow. So, okay, that's I'm just absorbing that one because that you know that's I feel like that's important. What you just said, like, so what made you decide to leave education? So the real big thing for me is that I I know that I think I got sunk into students because I can see a lot of impact almost right away um, when you think of like the youth they're very influential so me myself personally I believe that I'm an influential person so I can see results right away with kids um, and that's why I think I like right away got drawn towards education because that's where that's the lane that's the industry that you work with kids uh, without a shadow of a doubt as a teacher you're going to work with somebody's child some student somewhere right so I think that's where I got my hook into understanding that, you know, I have impact or I have influence. And I was able to see that early success with students. I was able to be able to tell where my lesson planning or my implementations was able to change 
students' understanding and knowledge and, and see them grow. So I think that that was my hooker uh, with education. I think the reason for me getting out of the education industry in, in general was because my bigger calling was the coaching part. So I was making good impact in the classroom, but I was just focused on my kids. So when I think of my, my seventh grade class, um, when I think of the students that I was able to impact and work with and really see them grow and gain, and it was probably my proudest moment as a teacher to see how many, you know, grade levels I was able to pump out of one class year. Um, that was a proud moment for me. And then I look up and I'm, we're still performing in the red as a school. So no matter how much I did with that class, I didn't impact a bigger seat. And not to say it wasn't important, but I want to impact that bigger seat. So I now want to talk to other teachers versus just the students because I want to work with teachers to say, like, you know what, this is working. This this is helping. Um, I did this and I, it went completely wrong, but it got me to this type of lesson and it helped me understand that students really want to, you know, learn like this, whatever this is for that conversation. Um, so eventually I became somebody that was, you know, helping coach and mentor the my, my peers, my teachers, and that's how I got, you know, more or less recruited into administration. So becoming a dean, I'm now able to help still work and focus on students, but I became an academic dean. So I was working with teachers um, and trying to help them, you know, make class exciting and working on engagement and working on students, um, working on them being able to allow students to see themselves in the education. So I got more fulfillment and more outcome for students being able to work with a bigger group of people and more so the adults in the room because really we're not we're not fighting to change kids' minds. Like you can change a child's mind one YouTube video at a time. They'll be all into it. They'll try it out. You know, you can get them to go. Adults are the one that's stuck. I, I still have teachers um, in the last row that I left that every, you know, all their desks are in straight rows and everybody still needs to raise their hand and kids are, are, are screaming for more engagement. They're not learning that way. It's not fun that way. So I want to coach that teacher. I don't need to coach those kids. If I go in with an awesome, engaging lesson plan, they'll engage. It's the teachers that are uncomfortable and don't want to make moves because they don't know if it's going to work or know if they're going to be in trouble for, you know, jumping out and taking risks. So I got my, my, my thought to move into a bigger capacity from just knowing, like, yes, I can be impactful. I am influential. But what seat do I really need to be able to make change that I can be proud of. So it's not just limited to one classroom, but now I can sit in the seat that I'm going to be over a school and leaving education. Now I'm sitting in the seat where I'm over all of the healthcare in Southern Nevada. So I'm talking to every provider. If you live here in Southern Nevada, I'm probably talking to your doctor at least once um, every, you know, 30 to 45 days. I try and get into each of my clinics once a month. Um, I'm at two clinics a day sometimes just talking to providers about people and how we work with people. So now I'm not just uh, affecting, you know, or influencing one, you know, clinic and one set of, of patients. Now I'm, in fact, I wanna talk to all providers who are touching all the patients, which essentially is all the people walking around Southern Nevada. So that's what I think was my biggest hook in was that I'm gonna be able to get to a seat. I'm gonna be able to sit in a seat and have influence over a larger domain because I feel like I can. I feel like, um, my belief is that I'm, I'm powerful enough to do that. I am, you know, in tuned enough to learn and keep learning and walk alongside the providers and help them learn. Um, I, I'm, I'm good at it. 
So I feel like that was my real change at getting out of education. I, I couldn't get to a place where um, I was ever satisfied. And I think this uh, lens right here will touch will touch students as well as, as patients. But um, now I'm really working with the adults that are, you know, really making the impact in the relationships and showing them how it's really important and how perception is going to affect their performance. So that's my real true uh, why am I not in the education industry? Because I still think that I'm an educator. Um, it was just I got to I got a chance to get to another seat where I can influence more lives. That's awesome. Well, that's what um, if that's what is um, your next path. I commend you for going forward with it. And the way you're sounding right now sounds like you're very confident in the path you're taking. Um, do you ever miss it though? So, yeah, you know what I miss the most is the coaching part. So um, when I got down to Nevada, I was unable to take on a head coaching position. I coach high school, uh, males and, and females. Um, so I, last year was my last year coaching. Uh, when I got down here, I would have to have been in the school system to be able to coach uh, in the school districts, and I'm not, a, uh, not going back into education, so that probably won't be a possibility. And right now, I don't have the time to do a traveling team because I am—I have a home base because I work uh, daily. So, really, I think that's the biggest piece because I'm able to see um, educators. Excuse me, I'm able to see learners also in a in a sport, one that I love too. So I'm able to make a connection with them because I know what it can do for them. But that's probably what I miss the most. I think I did more educating as a coach than I ever did in any classroom as any principal. I think as a coach, I probably made the most uh affect uh for students just because all the life lessons that really go into being a part of a team and growing and developing and working together and seeing and welcoming differences to really for a common goal uh so i would say there are times where i do miss education but i really miss it more as as a coach i miss it more for um that 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 realm of things and what that was able to allow me to do with my athletes um, and getting them to, like, you know, really attack life, really look at it like, you know, you're competing for me in basketball. You're competing in basketball, but at the same time, this is a bigger deal than, than everybody. You're, you're a leader. Um, you're a role model. Uh, you're a teammate. And so I miss that that line of things when I think of education. Wow. Well, that makes sense to me. Well, so – what holds in the future, Miss Hutchins? With Miss Kenya Hutchins, what is what is in the future for you? Um, honestly, so going off of what you said about you know following your passion and uh, investing in yourself and truly leaning in, um, I, I think I mentioned a number of times that my uh, my why is really to help others find their why. So. One of the reasons why you and I were connected was because um, I goal to start a podcast. I want to launch a podcast um, really, truly in the next coming months. I've been um, working on just like the outline of it, the plan, who is the audience, uh, what is the message about. Um, so I've worked through a lot of that. I have some of those X and O's crossed off my list. And really, I just need to, you know, jump out there and hit the launch button. Uh, but the biggest goal for me is to really just launch into trying to help people understand that. Uh, our mindsets enable us or really push us into being our clear versions of ourselves. So I want to go into starting a podcast. I got the green light to start one at work, and I want to start one personally. As well. So 
Classic Talks with Lum. Classic Talks podcast will be my personal podcast, um, and it's really kind of mimicking some of the things that you're doing here, um, just having really basic, open conversations about things that we should be talking about, um, really subscribing to a next play mentality, because we look at things from this real big lens, um, but sometimes it's just about your next step, what's the very next play you can make, and what things do you need to get it done, uh, not focusing on that short list of things we don't have, but what, it, what can we do with what we do have, capitalizing on that, uh, really looking at a mice or mindset shift, um, what does it look like to really understand that your actions are based about based around your beliefs? How do you influence your beliefs um, to give yourself some of the actions you're trying to really get into? Um, and then lastly, just uh, having crucial conversations. A lot of times we no longer have conversations. People understand what we're feeling through emojis and likes. Um, but how are we getting back to basics and having those crucial conversations? So uh, it's about making that next play mentality for classic talks. Uh, the one for work will, will basically just be about strategy, talking to all teammates across the market about different ways uh, to influence perception and how we help um, our patients understand the quality of care um, and our responsibility as uh, healthcare providers. Um, so that that will be like a seven to ten minute clip where myself and a, a co-host, uh, one of my teammates, will, will launch that podcast. So we're, we're doing some underwriting and things like that right now. Um, and our marketing team is going to take take it to its next level. My goal is to get off about quarter four, which is, uh, I would say, in October-ish, October time, we should be launching for work. So I think podcasting, speaking is going to be one of my next steps. Um, and really getting to an even larger audience and being able to get some impact in some, some areas that I've never really put my feet in, but maybe my voice can make it there. Wow. Well, I'm excited for you. And I can already tell you, you got the voice for a podcast, so I really, I can't wait for it, sincerely. I'm excited this back actually <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly where i went so it was a lot of nervousness around this call for me i was thinking like okay you've never ever been on a podcast before so when he just interviews you are you gonna talk too much are you gonna talk too little are you gonna you know like you get all these different what's gonna happen with this and what's gonna happen with that so let me say this i, I was really excited to get on this call with you today uh thank you for modeling for me what this looks like because i've never done it i plan to for sure have some uh, people on and have some good conversations. So uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, really see what this looks like on this end. And let me say it's been very, very, very painless. You have been an awesome host. Uh, thank you for um, we text back and forth. You're responsive, um, getting me straight. We're at, we got a time difference. We made it happen though, so I appreciate that. It's been my pleasure. I mean, when um. When um um when our mutual party um brought um brought you into the radar, um and I got to talk to you a little bit, I was very excited that you wanted to be a part of this. And to be quite honest, you have been exceptionally wonderful. You're a class act, and sincerely, this. I, here's the thing. One thing I love is black excellence, and you're definitely like I said before earlier in the, um in the show, is I, I love the fact to see a strong, educated black woman really going out there and just making things happen for herself. I mean, I come from that. That's who raised me was a strong black woman, educated and everything. 
So this is so I'm excited that that you even took your time out of your day because I know you're a very busy person to even you know give me the honor of this time to have dialogue with you and when your show um, um, launches, please let me know. I'd be happy to promote you. You can come back on and promote the show. Um, and I would love to be a guest on it if you're open to that as well. I mean, sincerely. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. We're definitely re- not even return a favor, but just as an honor, as an honor host, when it does launch, I'll, I'll give you a call and let you know, like, hey, what's on the menu is on the table over here, too. So I want you to come and talk about what it is and whatever we need to talk about. So I will definitely have you on. Um, it's going to be exciting. Uh, let me let you know that you'll be one. You'll be a part of my journey and my story when I say like, you know, how when I, hopefully I get the question like, how did you begin? Where'd you even start? Because a lot of people, uh, I ask a lot of people that, you know, in the learning stage. So when I'll be able to say like, like my very first time was on Delivery Bros uh, with Anthony, and I had no clue what the hell I was doing. I don't know where it went or how. <laughs> we made it through. Nobody died. Nobody lost any jobs or anything like that. We were fine. So yes, I would definitely have you on my show, um, and just you know keep keep up alive for new podcasters coming out. I think this is an awesome form you know format um, to get on and really be able to you know sp- spread some information, like talk about some things that matter. I've never realized how many podcasts are actually out there until I got into thinking about podcasting. But I mean, there's a podcast for any and <laughs> and everything with listeners, with listeners, which is the key. So um, yeah, oh yeah. Mind. Get to a place where I can be excited about it and successful, but I'm gonna pump in and work and use a very, very good motivation for that. And if anybody can have a podcast where they're on the microphone smacking their food for a half an hour, an hour and a half, <laughs> anything is possible. <laughs> I mean, you heard on the man said Mar Pair podcast, but right? I'm sure I've heard all kind of stuff, man. <laughs> I, I have a podcast. I, I I don't know what made me sit and waste my twenty minutes, but I was listening to one podcast and they were just talking about starting the podcast. Like that was the whole podcast was talking about getting started. Um and they had like fifty shows about all of their shows were this is us getting about to get started. I'm like, Y'all got a y'all made a podcast about that. Whatever they're doing before, if it's eating pizza, whatever it is, they're doing that before the show, that becomes the show. I'm like, okay. And I, and I had like 50,000 listeners. I'm like, all right. Well, I guess people want to hear about nothingness. And I got time, and cool. I'm glad there was a podcast for them. Yep. There's, I mean, you can just, just, it's, it's sort of like the internet. If it exists, it's probably, um, if it exists, it's probably something made into an image of that. <laughs> So will you be yeah. will you be at the CM conference this year? Um, I didn't even know there was a conference. I've always thought about trying to see about getting into one of these conferences and I've actually been open to the idea. So I didn't even know there was a conference going on down there in Nevada. Uh no, no, it's it's in um it's in Florida this year. It's the podcast movement. Oh, it's in Florida. Yeah, the PM nineteen podcast is in Florida, um, August. August 16th or something like that or whatever. I'll send you a link to it, uh, but I plan to go. It can't, it can't be anything but resourceful to be around all podcasters and um, all different oh, levels. Yeah. 
again. So um, I'm going to try and check that out. And I look at it as an investment still, one of those things where for personal growth and development. So, yeah, it's an investment for me. Um, it's, it's not bad prices. They have different levels. So you can, you know, access what you want or you can get the whole shebang. So, yeah, hopefully you will have a chance if you can make it down there. Um, but I plan to try uh, and get down to the, the podcast the conference this year. Hmm, what part of Florida is it? And I actually got family in Florida. So. Orlando? Oh, in Orlando? Oh, I got a cousin in Orlando. That actually would be perfect. You know what? Definitely send me a link to that because maybe I can make something happen. Maybe I can bring delivery bros on the road <laughs> and see um, see where I can take it because right. I'm always open to definitely collaborate and also educate myself to be better in my production right. or whatever I need to be. So, right. yeah. Um, and shout you out to PM19 and that Yes, and I do. Yeah, I do. We're gonna. We need to stay in contact as well. This is. Let's not make this just a one time. We have a conversation. Let me know how you're doing every once in a while, and let me know if there's anything like new going on, um, in your world, whether it's the podcast, whether it's an elevation of business, or whatever it may be. Um, you're definitely a friend of delivery, bro, aka Mr. Anthem. But let's <laughs> do. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate it. Uh, look for me; it'll be Classic Talks, and I'll be AK. I'll be King Yale, AK Doctor Classic, on there. So, um, we'll okay. Doctor Classic. Okay, I like that. Well, then, um, did you have anything that you wanted to promote? Um, um, otherwise, social handles or anything of that nature. Um, if you want to, uh, please follow me on IG, uh, Classic underscore Talk. Uh, my Facebook is. Uh, Kenyo Hutchins, my regular name, but I also have a Classic Talks podcast page on Facebook as well. So if people want to uh, join or like or subscribe to that, uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, nothing more than that. I'll, I'll give you another shout out when I really do launch and we can talk about uh, some promotion there. But right now, just enjoying the conversation and the time we have. All right. And I'll put those descriptions in, um, in the, uh, I'm sorry, I'll put that, I'll put those handles in the description below. So Perfect. check her out, follow her. Have some dialogue with her. She's actually a very fun person to talk to, sincerely. And uh, with that, I guess we'll go ahead and end the show. With that, my name is Anthony Anthem, a.k.a. Black Fabio, a.k.a. The Midnight Marauder, a.k.a. Um, another classic production with Dr. Classic, a.k.a. We're out of here. Thank you. Awesome. And, and excuse all the AKs. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, but I, I was gonna let you do your thing, man. So I appreciate it, Mr. AKA. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was an idea that I came up with like podcasts ago, like probably like 50, 60 podcasts ago. I was like, hmm, let me go ahead and get this a try, see how it goes. People yeah, like it, I guess. Right. All right, you're gonna be on like Game of Thrones with uh Danny. She has Mother of Dragons, Breaker of Chains. You're gonna have all kind of names. That's how they can like any room for the show left with Mr. AKA and all these AKAs you got. Uh well it's any consolation, it used to be longer. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it too. I believe you. I'm gonna just right, my brother was like, Oh god, stop, stop. stop, stop. <laughs> Yeah. 
Duly noted. I'll go ahead and write them out. I'll have them done by 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> this, this has been a pleasure. All right, thank you, man. I appreciate it very, very much. I can't wait to hear this one live. I'm gonna be so nervous to even hear myself on the on the recording for the first time on a podcast. That's gonna be pretty cool, though. That'd be that'd be a good moment for me. Just Bree Woosaw, you did wonderful. I mean, you were such a pro, sincerely. Cool. Like, thank you very much for that. Yeah. Wednesday, I'm gonna release this episode. Okay. All right. Cool. I'll be so. Yes, yeah, so I'll notify you and give you some information on it. Okay. All right, cool. Have a good one. Thank you very much for everything. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.